never seen a black guy driving an open air Jeep. He's kind of a hater. Testicles are almost hanging out of those shorts. That's Max wrong. What it is, Big Mama? My mama didn't read no dummy. Excuse my racism, but he could jump like a black guy. Hello and welcome. We are back. It is the Baller Lifestyle Podcast from theballerlifestyle.com. I am, once again, your host, Brian Beckner, for a very special episode of the program. Once in a while, we like to do these. We dispense with the regular gimmick the sports show of record, the pop culture stuff that we do, all the stuff that you're used to hearing week in and week out here on the Baller Lifestyle Podcast. Once in a while, we like to give you guys something special. Uh, we like to pursue a bigger goal. and Namely, in this case, an in-depth discussion of the seminal 1986 comedy, Soul Man. Um, and it's, it's been a long time coming and it's, it's something we've been working on here for a while. And it just so happens that race relations are on the forefront of the political landscape right now. There are, there are people out there that are pretending to be black that are being discovered. All these sort of, uh, this confluence of events is going on right now. So it's the perfect time to discuss soul man. And we're going to do it with the regular cast of characters as always co-host of the program is here he's a serial author he's an orioles fan he's a guy that's drawn the ire of the hoboken homeless of course i'm talking about my dear friend ed daly ed how are you doing today sir I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm pretty excited to revisit something that is astonishing. Me too. It's something that, that it's shocking that it exists and it's, it's due an in-depth discussion because just the fact that it was ever made is an absolute just mind-blowing fact of nature. Uh, okay. Also joining us, she's the baller lifestyle pop culture correspondent. She blogs about The Bachelor. She also once submitted a spec script for the television show Entourage. As a child, she met eventual Australian Prime Minister Yahoo Sirius. Some of her friends have had sex with famous people. Of course, I'm talking about Kate McManus, a.k.a. Fancy Sauce. How you doing, Fancy? (laughs) Really digging deep. On oh, my bio there. I'm good. I'm excited too. I just I just want you to work I know this is about Soul Man. Can we just briefly talk about Yahoo Serious? How did that? I went to the that? premiere of his movie. Was this Young Einstein was he, and when I was a kid and I met him and got his autograph. Was he the transportation a, minister at the time or was he he was actually president of the country? Um, was he able to spell Yahoo Serious? Did he know that much? I don't know. It is I it, got my picture taken with him and I think that I got it autographed. Maybe it was a Polaroid. In Australia, is he? Does he like endorse every product? Is he? He's the face of everything. Yeah, he is. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, he's like the Michael Jordan. Right. He's the face of tourism for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Who's serious? Uh, okay. And special guest this week. You guys have heard him here before. He's a sports media stalwart. 
His over his Rolex overflows, much like his waistline. He's stolen scenes from LDP, Meadow Soprano, and Gina Gershon. He's sold razors. He's the greatest dating show contestant of all time. Of course, I'm talking about the inimitable Jason Stewart. How you doing, Jason? You know, I agree with all of that. I just don't know what do you, what's a Rolex reference? I know it's probably something very deep. Roll, edgy, r- Rolodex. Rolodex. Right? It's oh, Rolodex. Yes, okay. This, I was gonna say so I don't do Rollies. No. I, I knew I once I once knew someone who has a vast supply of Rollies. Yeah. Yes. And, and some Rollies are better than other Rollies. Is that correct? And he would often tell you that in his safe, you have to put it on a vibrating arm or else the Rolexes go bad. Yeah, well, they stop. They stop ticking. Uh, the, the ticker stops ticking. Is that true? That's Did he really claim that? Yes. Things that rich men have to worry about. Yes. Rich man problems. Well, Jason, thank you for joining us. And now, when you co-starred with Meta Soprano, tell me. Was there any, did any sparks fly? At the time, was she dating Turtle from Entourage? Or was she dating uh, Mark, the guy that used to be the quarterback of the Jets? Now, she was Jamie Lynn Descala when she did the movie with me. Oh, she was married to a guy. That that means either she wasn't married or she was. I'm not sure, but it was way prior to Turtle. So, But I did sense some vulnerability on the set. absolutely. She played Heidi Fleiss. And was a little bit of a method acting, so you could tell that she probably had to sleep with most of the crew and her <laughs> cast members. But I, I, I can't say that I was able to uh, to get inside that. Unfortunate. Is uh, she really dating the entourage guy? Oh yeah, not, she not anymore. She's mar- she's married to someone else. Yeah. Is she? Off. She's married again. Yeah, yeah, on the show and off, she was dating him. And how? Let's be honest. How uh, how's she looking in real life? I thought she was at, at that point. I mean, I think she was peaking. I mean, that yeah. was that top, was her, at her hottest, top of her but game. But not, not clearly not the hottest actress you've worked with. No, 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 right? right. No, not at all. That that, that award that, goes to Sexpot. <laughs> that award goes to Sexpot Gina Gershon. Does it not? Oh, absolutely. Oh, that is so. that is that is a lot of woman. She's right married there. to that baseball player Cutter. Oh, Dyke she's Dyke that's Dyke. right. She's married to Lenny, Lenny Dykstra's, Dykstra's son. Yeah. Cutter. Cutter. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? Yes. No, that's, that's what she's doing. Lenny married Dykstra. Three years now, they have a kid whom together. Whom Lenny stole the signing bonus from to invest. You know what? I, I used to coach Little League with Lenny's brother, Brian Dykstra. Wow. And so I, I, I've coached Lenny's nephew. What a, what a small a world. Small world. Jason Stewart, like I said, he's got a vast. He's plugged in. He's vast Rolodex. He knows a lot of people and he'll tell you who. He knows. Okay, we're we're here to discuss a film, an important film, a masterful work of what I would call cinema. Of course, I'm talking about the movie Soul Man. And just to give you a sort of thumbnail sketch, Soul Man was released in 1986. From I'm just read you from Rotten Tomatoes the synopsis. An ambitious but spoiled rich white kid wins a scholarship to Harvard Law School by pretending to be African-American in this broadly played comedy. 
After his father cuts him off financially, Mark Watson wins a full tuition scholarship to Harvard by claiming to be African-American on the application form. With the help of his best friend Gordon, Mark acquires some bronzing pills, a new hairdo, and a lowered voice. Disguised as a black student, Mark thinks that he's going to breeze through the program. The reality of being a minority at a mostly white institution quickly catches up to him. However, when he encounters some tacit racism and falls for Sarah Walker, Ray Don Chong, looking good, girl, a fellow student whose affection makes him feel guilty about his ruse. Um, this, like I said, this movie came out in 1986. Some of the notables involved, of course, C. Thomas Howell. It starred C. Thomas Howell. Um, Ray Don Chong was involved, a, a big 80s name there. Um, also, James Earl Jones, as if he wasn't in everything. And, and some other people that we will get to that you, that if you saw it, you would most certainly recognize as they went on to, I wouldn't say bigger things because i mean once once you do soul man right. i don't this think is the pinnacle i don't think there's a lot after that so i i since, say since we're on the topic brian okay. can i kind of can i kind of be the c thomas howell guy right here and take make, take 30 seconds to kind of s- summarize where c thomas howell was in his acting career let's do let's do I that mean, because he 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 was a big he was deal goddamn yeah. pony boy you know, yeah I, I, well that's all i was gonna get there so he goes from this real small part on et where he plays a buddy on a bike maybe had a couple words and then he did out Outsiders, where he played Pony Boy Curtis, one of my favorite boy, one of my favorite movies of all time. He had great a brother movie. named Soda, even yeah. says so on his birth certificate. Right, um, <laughs> great, great movie. He went on to do Red Dawn, another classic, classic. movie. If yep. you're a child of the '80s, you watch that 90 times on, on video cassette. And then, but this came before Side Out, which great I think movie. was his most memorable movie. In that, Side Out did for uh, Beach Volleyball. What over the top did for arm wrestling? It took it from a fringe sport that very few people paid attention to, and then it remained a fringe sport that few people paid attention to. Agreed, absolutely. Continue it, 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 co-starring that one dude from Thirty Something with the That's marvelous right. <laughs> flowing mullet. I, I would say that, that you could you could certify based on Jason's uh, recap of his career. He was white hot right here. White hot. He really was. He was at, it was 1986. C. Thomas Howell was an in-demand actor for sure. He he was famous and nobody was even questioning why he was named C. Thomas. No, absolutely not. I still want to know what the C stands for. It's like, it's like, it's a normal name. It's like Chris or... Right. Charles, like it's not a weird name. It's just a regular. Yeah, he, he abbreviated his first name, but he. The point is, is that when he read the script for Soul Man and accepted the job to star in a movie where he is in blackface for ninety eight percent of the movie, mm-hmm. he presumably had other scripts sent to him by his agent, <laughs> probably for movies that you know and have heard about. But he no. said that the script was hilarious and really well written, and he couldn't turn it down. It's- well, I, do, should I spoil something I read off of IMDb that there was somebody else who was casting the lead but had to drop out? I saw this. Go ahead. The actor's name, or the, the movie that the guy got caught in was Howard the Duck. It That's went right. a little over schedule, <laughs> and the actor who had to drop out, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins was shooting no Howard. Kidding. Howard the Duck. Nuke Lelouch could have been 
uh, Mark Watson. I believe, um, I believe Howard the Duck. That was a George Lucas movie, was it not? That was the, the huge flop. They, like one of the big all time flops. Well, it had a, it had a big like an, not animatronic, but it was a duck that looked like um, one of the the like Mickey Mouse that walks around Disneyland. Yes, yeah. it was it was less believable than <laughs> With- C. Thomas Howell as a black man. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into it. The movie opens where it's Mark, what's his name? Mark Watson. Mark Watson. Wakes up in bed. This is where we first meet Mark Watson. And something I noticed in this scene is that the 80s movie trope of having your stereo be your alarm clock is the right. first thing we know. His stereo oh, we- wakes him up. The, Ferris Bueller had the same setup. And I just wonder, did anyone ever know anyone that actually had their stereo as an alarm clock? I feel like that technology didn't exist. It never existed. And yet it's in every 80s movie, including Soul Man. Yeah, everybody had a shitty clock radio. Of course. Like one of those crummy things that never tuned in correctly. But one other thing is the set dresser went wild in this initial scene to like establish who, who this was. There were a lot of tube socks. Yes. Lot, it was a very like, random, pleasure. random, random wine glasses everywhere. Right. I mean, how did, how does that happen? Did you like, guys you're notice? In the bedroom and there's like four wine glasses spilled. Also on the windowsill, there is like six different bottles of beer. Right. He's um, a partier. They're letting I'm us know. Like all the different right, kinds. I'm looking at it right now. Eight. 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 <laughs> Actually Eight. <laughs> Good correction. Um, yes, we also see, and what else do we see? He's got a broad in bed with he, with him, doesn't he? We need to know. They want us to know right away that Mark Watson is a partier and a coxman because he's in bed with a hot blonde. But after he does the deed, apparently he puts his tidy whities back That's on. That's right. That's right. That's She's right. Super sexy. Yes. I'm Still, about to pass out, but I have who to. Who does that? Really Cool. Still in his undies, and then and then he's joined in the bedroom. His buddy, played by Ari Gross, and if you don't know Ari Gross, just think of like every buddy from every '80s movie at all, because it's always the same or a similar guy. He's what, what's his character's he's name? Fast talking, Gordon, right? The Donald Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, he's yeah. like the poor man's. Judd Nelson. Yeah. And yeah. let's not forget his alarm, his alarm stereo was set to noon. So you know right. this guy hits it hard. He hits it. He, he hard. also has he also has a stash of tennis balls next to the bed in a basket exactly. to throw at the alarm to turn it off. Uh, but his the buddy comes into the room and he first of all, much like everyone in the eighties, these guys are supposed to be college seniors, but for some reason his the buddy, Gordon, is like forty three years old. That that goes unexplained. <laughs> And his buddy's a bad dude who barges into a room like that. Right. He 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 barges into where some coitus could have been happening at that moment. And but to so he's that kind of a hater. They can both at the same time, which is a pretty gay move. They're both at the <laughs> yeah, same time they, like, gonna open their letters to see if they got into Harvard Law School. Correct, guys? Yeah. And I, I feel like I feel like that actor was either cast or turned down for the American Perfect Strangers. Is it the same guy, or is it just that everybody looked like that guy in no, the eighties? He, he also oh, Mar- he had the Mark Lynn Baker haircut. So they open they open the letters together, and it turns out miraculously they have both been accepted to Harvard Law School. Shocker! And- Harvard Law School. Yeah! Woo! Yeah! Right. Any, anyone have anything Incredible. to add from the first scene of the movie? Well, 
there, there's there's something there's something disturbing about not only does he barge into his room, but he straddles him. He, that's right. Open. He gets on top of him in so bed. It's it's a real douche chill moment. Now, wasn't there a car, either a car that pulled up yes. at that apartment or a car that pulled away from that apartment that the license plate read UC Laid? UCLA. Yeah. UCLA. I think that's that a, that's at the next scene where they where they go, they to, go the to the party. party. Yeah. But one party. one thing, so the movie opens basically like in a very eighties comedy fashion. Like it could be like a raunchy sort of vacation bachelor party. Buddy, like buddy things movie. aren't going wrong, and, and they they close with actually a strong joke. Where it's a they, pretty funny line. They uh, Gordon is like, "Hey, all right, we both got into Harvard," and they do like some gay like celebration together. Yeah, it was very off putting. But then, then Gordon Gordon says, "I think an introduction's in order." Yeah, he turns to to, to his sleigh and he's like, "Hey, don't you think an introduction's in order?" To which Mark turns to the girl and says, "Who he's obviously slept with the night before," and turns to her and says, "Hi, I'm Mark." Very good joke, I thought. Yeah. Uh, okay. The next scene is the party scene. Like these guys, they're going to UCLA. They're getting ready to leave to go to Harvard. They like to do it big. And there's a very 80s party. Like Jason said, somebody pulls up in a UCLA license plate car. It's a, I, th- I think the guy's Australian. They're, um, they're, Seth. Yeah, their buddy Seth is Seth there. Seth with that sick wig. He's a bit of an eccentric. He's getting a PhD. Wearing, Everyone yeah, has frosted wearing, tips wearing, at that party. He's wearing two different ch- uh, colored Chuck Taylors. He's got like the David Lee Roth look, the uh, Australian dude. And they they set up the story that he is working on a tanning product in for his PhD and some you know, he looks like a surfer bro, kind of a burnout. They're smoking weed. The movie still has great potential at this point. Also, who do we see at this point? Julia Louis-Dreyfus shows up. With and Brad, because there's always a Brad in, in right. an 80s movie. Brad's a very 80s name. Uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, not but, not quite. She didn't reach her peak till much, much later. No, but what's remarkable is how similar she looks I was nearly, say the same nearly thing. 30 years ago. I mean, She, she looks exactly the same yeah. as she did as in yeah. Seinfeld. She's, she's in her 50s now. She's she great. looks great. She looks fantastic. Any guy I mean, would you, bang her. You kinda, I guess you have to blame the writers or the directing or whatever in this, but she is instantly hateable. And I don't know if it was because well, she's a great not, actress, but literally from the get go, from the first words, you just can't stand her. So yeah. I guess if that was the the effect, and that yeah. they did a pretty good job, she's great, right? So they're setting the scene, and a little foreshadowing. We know Seth lets us know he's working on a tanning product. We don't know where this is going at this point. It's it's a pretty standard eighties movie, and then we get to the big. Oh, we all, we also know that the tan dude wears a flower in his hair. That's just, right, just because. That's right. He's a burnout. That's totally normal. Uh, and and yes. we find out that Brad did not get into Harvard. He got into BU. So from the get-go, some envy is, is uh, you know, yep, some foreshadowing right. is instilled. Great right point. And, and Mark is a real prick to the guy about getting into BU. Real douche. Yeah, we're, we're establishing that Mark is a douche, right? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So also, a, sort of a, an interesting thing, like there's apparently only two law schools in the 1980s. You either mm-hmm. go to Harvard or BU. Right. Yeah. You, like, is you, that a you second only, you choice? You only have one one city to go to. Right. You could only you could only go to Boston, well, you, and you so, want to be close to Harvard since, Law. Yeah. Since when <laughs> is since when is BU the second best law school well, to Harvard? I, I feel like there's. 
200 law schools <laughs> in between those two without having done research. Uh, okay, a- anything to add on the party scene, guys? Not on the party scene. Okay. It's a lot of frosted we move. We move, absolutely. It's a very 80s scene, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, we move from the party scene to the first big hurdle, a real turning point in the movie. We go, we, we're at Mark's parents' house where his dad is on one of those anti-gravity machines that like you put your feet in and you hang upside down and it stretches out your back. I feel like every single home came with one of those in the 1980s. Yeah, the 80s were very heavy on upside down shit. Those that's boots right. that that's you hooked right. onto a pole. That's right. Aww. There was a lot of upside down. Like I yeah. think there was some sort of vampire envy in the 80s. That's right. Was, everyone they, was fucking with the gravity. What were they, they must doing? have found they must have found out. There must have been a doctor study at some point in 89 as we got out of the 80s and said if you hang upside down for too long, your your intestines are going to reverse and you'll die because those products just went away overnight. It's true. It's true. They it were was everywhere. A weird, weird fad. It was every, people were hanging from doorways. Yeah. Everybody was upside down, and, and then they weren't. It was very and odd. Also, there's a there's a, a great deal of exercise gear in this movie from the company Fila. That is absolutely true. Did Fila sponsor like, this movie? I feel, like, I feel like maybe the Surgeon General also said Fila would be bad for your intestines because <laughs> after Darn. After 1989, I don't think I've seen Fila. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, the dad's got a Fila sweatsuit on. He's wearing a sweat band for some yeah, reason. It's a matching Fila, Fila sweat headband. He's basically dressed exactly like LL Cool J would be if he were in the movie, but instead he's... A, and the dad is the dad from ALF? No, not... Dude, not no, that's the therapist. Yeah, the dad is the dad from ALF. I also believe the dad was on LA Law. I could be wrong. Doogie Hauser. Yeah, Doogie uh, Do- Doogie, yeah, Doogie yeah. Hauser's dad, although Alf's Alf's dad does show up later. So oh, don't worry, he'll be there. We'll talk about that. Um, and so we, at this point, we learn that that his dad is super cashed up. He's got a fucking Tudor house in Beverly Hills. He's he's hanging upside down at the pool. He goes, you know and what? The I've mom's just- got an exercise bike right next to the edge of the pool. Yeah. too. that's <laughs> yes, not safe. Not safe by, <laughs> by any means. A lot, a lot of downside. Uh, they're they're working out. They're getting fit, and he's wants to have a talk with his son. He he tells him, "Hey, Mark, you know what I'm going to give you?" And Mark, what does Mark say? What is he say? A Ferrari. Uh, a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, really douchey. The '80s, like that was the Ferraris most the you 80s. could aspire to in the '80s. It's the most baller thing. Having a fucking Ferrari. There was mm-hmm. apparently no other sports car made because in the 1980s it was a Ferrari or GTFO. But of course, his dad does not want it to give him a Ferrari. He, he wants le- to give him his man. He lets him know that to to Which teach made him. Made me very uncomfortable. To teach him how to be a man, he's decided I am not going to give you anything. Yeah, you got into Harvard, but you're going to pay for it yourself. Harvard Law School. This is a big day for all of us. That's why I've decided to let you pay your own way. Guys, anything to add? Just yeah, that when I mean, he said, "I want to give you your manhood." That right. made me very he th- uncomfortable. You thought he was talking about his cock. I didn't know what he was talking about, right. but it made me very uncomfortable. It was a little weird. And let's talk about because this. Because when they cut back to Mark, he had crossed his legs. Right. They maybe yeah, maybe he was talking about his dog. I don't think um, so, but the, it, it, is, it does strike me as kind of weird that the guys floated him this entire time at UCLA. Right. He's letting him party. He's he's 
obviously done well because he's gotten into Harvard. And then all of a sudden, the dad's like, yeah, I paid for four years at UCLA. And now that you've achieved the greatest thing you could achieve by getting into Harvard Law School, hey, fuck off. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Did, did that strike you guys as odd? Yeah. A bit. It, yeah. yeah. You would Very. think that he's, he's, been, he's done what was asked of him. Exactly. To, to, to get into the school. So he, he can't be that bad of a kid. It's, it's like the, yeah, it's, it's the one way the writer thought, how are we actually going to create this juxtaposition of a rich, snooty white guy needing to be black? And that's the only reason, yeah. the only way they can come up with this farce of a movie plot and have the, the dad bail on his, his payment. Right, because that's the they, only they, way ha- they, could have done they had to make Mark a douche so he could redeem himself in the end. And the way to make him a douche was to make him a rich kid whose dad cuts him off. Um, so, so Mark is very affected by that. He, the next scene, poignant movie, moment in the movie, it's just a, a close-up shot of Mark's face in front of a noose. He... He, right. he he looks like he's going to kill himself and he's he discusses his just like everyone that's at their wits end that they don't know what they're going to do he lays out for us what his problems were and it's the cost of Harvard tuition which in 1986 was apparently <laughs> very affordable tuition and fees 10,000 $493. Estimated annual living expenses. You ever applied for a loan before? $7,500. Total for three years of law school. $53,979. Don't you think you're overreacting? No. Well, Jason Stewart, what crunch the numbers for us? It was basically what you're paying to go to Cal State Fullerton now. That's exactly it's like, right. It's uh, what he read off what about uh, ten thousand five hundred tuition plus seventy five hundred living expenses, and somehow that came out to three years at fifty. What was it, Kate? Fifty three. Fifty three nine seven nine. Yeah. yeah. He he he, de- three years he determined Let's- that it was going to be fifty four grand to get a fucking Harvard Law School okay. degree. He would be able to pay that back in his first year okay. as We're as missing- a clerk. We're yeah. missing the most important part of that scene, though. Go on. For some reason, a 22-year-old college senior that's right. had access to his own Cabbage Patch doll. That's exactly in which right. That's what he places in the noose. Yeah, he so wasn't going to hang himself. Yeah. And it's he like put- the nerdy Cabbage Patch with the glasses on. That's exactly and right. And a diaper. Uh, taking a boy Cabbage Patch doll and then putting that in the noose. And... Like everybody's cool with his his buddies there with him, handing him the cabbage patch doll. So I like, want to say, I want to say, in the, in nineteen eighty six, cabbage patch dolls had ran their course, and that was some mid eighties joke. Like this is ironic that he has one, and when he kills it, there was like there was uh, an audience in the eighties that thought that that was funny, and we just looked right past it. Yeah, it was it was a weird moment. He hung his cabbage patch kid. There was really not was any reason like for dad. it. Yeah. Like oh, oh, maybe that was it. Oh, well, that's, that's clearly what he was doing. But I didn't get that. I didn't. Okay. I didn't take that away yeah, from it. I think the Cabbage Patch doll might have been wearing a little Fila sweatsuit. But wow. the, right. important, the important thing is he had access to a Cabbage Patch yeah, doll. Why like did he two, have one? Yeah. Two college senior guys should not have a Cabbage Patch doll. That's that's <laughs> absolutely that's a that's a great takeaway two from that. Two great comedy tropes in that scene. 
Yes. Suicide. Yes. Always hilarious. Always funny. Cabbage Patch Kids. Yeah, both very very funny. It's it's shocking that the Cabbage Patch Kids still resonates today. Like, how did they even know that at that point? And I think uh, that the the ruse the ruse of the noose was. I guess they were supposed to uh, think that we thought he was actually suicidal because he would have to go into society with a whole lot of family money and grades good enough to get into Harvard Law. We, yeah. You're supposed to feel sorry for him that he was on the brink of suicide. Yeah, he's, he's right. just gotten a degree from UCLA and his <laughs> life is over because his dad won't pop the 55 grand. Also, $7,500 living expenses per year <laughs> I feel like in Boston fi- was cheap as fuck in the 80s. I feel like 53 grand is like... Your average, you know, person's and credit card debt yes. right now. Let's let's not let's not forget though. If you graduate Harvard Law, you just pick and choose how quickly you get that money back. That's like, exactly right. That he, is that is you just print money once you get accepted. Also, I feel like there's other ways he could have got the money. Of course, he could have hooked. Well, he could have forged his he, dad's signature to co-sign yeah, he, on a loan. Well, okay, let, let's get to that. That would have been easier because I think at this point we get to our first montage of the movie set. <laughs> shockingly to the song soul man by sam and dave <laughs> um and he starts researching scholarships and at one, one point he goes to the bank to get a loan Th- this movie um uh, omits the fact that pretty much anyone can get a loan to college they're begging you to take them because they want you to owe them the interest it's very very easy to get right. a loan anyone to college. can get financial aid but he goes to one bank and gets turned down because <laughs> at some point he didn't pay he bounced his, a co- he bounced, his phone bill and he bounced a couple of checks and i love the bank uh, manager has like an old texas instruments printer yeah yeah a dot desk. matrix <laughs> yeah it's printing away um any, anything to add from the montage guys and don't they also go through the the potential scholarship book? Right. They're they're reading all the scholarship. Oh, that yeah, that's right. At this point, they foreshadow the the scholarship, and I think it says like for the best student from L.A., um, you get the Horace G. Grant. Mm-hmm. That that's actually a basketball player. <laughs> it's a Horace somebody. Right, but what's the scholarship? And then and then they see the caveat. Oh, he's gotta be black. Right. Wait a second, look at this. Full tuition for the most qualified applicant, most qualified black applicant. Uh which he is not. And somehow and somehow in small writing where he didn't read is a massive part of the plot that they just kind of break on you late in the movie and this and the little writing it says and if there are no black candidates in los angeles we go to san diego for candidates <laughs> right that's right Read the fine print. we oh we we open it to all of california but that doesn't that doesn't show up till later i think in this month we start to see gordon who's always got his sunglasses on like an fbi agent yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Throughout the movie, he, he's he's a good a sidekick. Indoor, a lot of indoor sunglasses. Well, wearing. he's got he's got a which is a very eighties. He's thing got too. a very I, prominent Roman nose. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to downplay that with the sunglasses and the SFL. I want to go on record. I am very pro Gordon as the sidekick. <laughs> you like him <laughs> because if you think about the amount of sidekicks we've we've had to deal with over the years, they've become increasingly dull to the point where you're dealing with. Joey from Friends and uh, the the brother in Entourage, Matt Dillon's brother. Like these guys are are like slow adults, 
And like this guy was like a fast talking, funny guy. Like I feel like most most sidekicks are terrible. Like this guy was was funny. He was he was smarmy. He was charming. But like most sidekicks are terrible these days. He wasn't if bad. I, yeah. If I could add a side note, by now I've noticed that every scene. Both of these actors have an unusual amount of red lipstick on, and I don't know if that was a uh, a cultural mid '80s kind of rich Beverly Hills thing, red lipstick, where all rich guys wore it, or if it was just poor. Uh, I don't know, whatever you call it in the business, Kate, where you you have makeup on typically, but mm-hmm. it's not so noticeable yeah. on camera. More like a it's natural. Look. Yeah, it was just strange to me. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely we, was strange, especially when when after uh, Mark takes the tanning pills, uh, his lips get very wait, red wait, after that. Yes. Wait, before you get to the tanning pills, what about wasn't there a little therapist visit? Uh, absolutely, that's the next oh, scene yeah. of the movie. Oh. Let's get to that. Uh, Mark goes and visits his shrink to talk about what to do, and it turns out that his shrink is also his dad's shrink. I feel like that is very unethical. Now it's a definite conflict and of interest. Even if there was that same conflict, it shouldn't come up in a therapy session. That's exactly right. And you, do you think that the dad dresses in head-to-toe Fila because his therapist does? That's right. The, <laughs> yes. An, an, an important point to make here is, yes, the therapist also is in a full Adidas tracksuit. And the even bigger point is that the therapist is played f- by the dad from ALF, Max Wright. <laughs> and. And I guess this would be the point where I could say, fun fact, the actor Max Wright was once once caught in a crack house blowing homeless dudes for crack. <laughs> That's really? right. That's exactly yeah. true. And I'll, I'll, read from, I'll read from the Inquirer. Alf, That's Max wrong. <laughs> oh, good one. Good one. Alf star caught in crack house. Um, yeah, he was. He was and there are, there so are pictures. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust. Uh, just any old uh, National Enquirer headline, but there are pictures of him like hooking up with homeless dudes. Yeah, there's pictures of him making out with homeless guys, lighting a crack pipe, doing like doing everything you think that somebody that would have gay sex with men and smoke crack would do. He's doing it. Um, and there's a quote from the story: Max had unprotected sex with me and the homeless guys. He did say, and he did drugs <laughs> with me. And the homeless men. So uh, uh, hopefully things have, have gotten better. I mean, I, I don't know if the movie sent him to that point, but the dad from Al. It couldn't have gotten worse. It couldn't have gotten worse. Things really went downhill for him and pretty much everyone involved with the, the uh, 1986 movie Soul Man. Uh, okay. So, yeah, he meets the shrink. And the, and the shrink basically says, I told him to cut you off because my son is a piece of shit. He made me buy him a dirt bike and I I hate my kid. And he, like most uh, mental health professionals that I've ever come in contact with, he's a little off. It looks like he might have had some been smoking some. Well, crack he has in an there. aquarium in his office. As well. <laughs> yes, that is is the decoration style in his office is very odd. Some Af- African statues, aquarium. So yeah, yeah, lot of lot, lot, lot of lot of aquariums in the 1980s. I feel like there's there's a lot of homeless fish at this point. There's a lot of like aquariums like on the side of people's houses and in landfills. Oh, that makes me sad. Because in because in the 1980s, you couldn't walk into a house and not this see. This is like the upside down gravity machine. Right, you not see an right. 80 gallon aquarium. And now I can't remember the last time I saw an aquarium so, in someone's home. Some, <laughs> somewhere there's a landfill full of fila outfits. 
upside down uh, equipment and and uh, and a lot of out of work aquari- aquarium keepers. That's right, and cabbage patch dolls. <laughs> Maybe the so I feel like dolls. they're they're on eBay. It could be. We'll have to have a look. Uh, okay. So then they go. This, the, he meets with the shrink, and then he and Gordon are like trying to figure out like what the fuck do I do? They go to some '80s bar that looks like it's sort of out of less than zero. It looks like a place that Mark might make some money sucking dick for coke. And then they run into Brad, who's sort of see this movie lacks a bad guy. And I, they sort of set it up as Brad. They sort of set it up as the dad, the landlord. But there's not really a bad guy in this movie. I guess if there's one specific bad guy. Oh, there's a bad guy. Well, it's sort of. Uh, it, Brad is, is the first bad guy we meet. He comes into the bar. He bellies up. He's re- he, for some reason, he knows that Mark doesn't have the money to go to Harvard, how he would know that, I don't know, because I don't think Mark would have shared that with him. But then something odd happens, and it could be a continuity thing. It could have just been the 80s. He orders a whiskey sour, He and then the bartender brings it. He reaches between him, be, between them to take his drink, and his whiskey sour is a champagne glass with orange <laughs> juice and like orange rind in it. It looks to me like a mimosa or a bellini. It is definitely not a whiskey sour. He goes with, he's very feminine though. Or in well, the 80s, is that what a whiskey sour looked like? I don't you, know. When he walked away after delivering his sick burn, did you hear his like very like female cackle? Yeah. High pitch cackle. He also wears a lot of pink sweaters throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that, he, that he, was he's very a little 80s. off. I just what, wanted to say before they get to the bar, when he leaves the therapist's office and and uh, goes out into the waiting room, there are seven guys all wearing wearing Fila sweatsuits. That's right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. They're so all good. and it's all Fila. All of them. <laughs> They're all clones of the therapist. Yeah, that that that, that is a good. That is an important point uh, that we that's sh- actually neglected funny. to mention. Yeah, that would. There are some funny. Here's the thing, like this movie has some jokes. If they had played could, it could as a worked. farce, as a satire, it could have been really funny. But they played it straight, which did not work. On uh, on I remember on the IMDb like fun facts part, it showed a clip of uh, Roger Ebert's review, and he said this movie could have been good, but like it just didn't. It just didn't right. work. Yeah, they didn't. They they sort of pussyfooted it. They didn't really go for it, and and because of that, it just plays very very weird. Uh, okay, so they, he he's trying to come up with a plan, and he's he's um, he's not sure how he's going to get the fifty three thousand dollars over three years, which I feel like he could just get a credit card and do. But we 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 we've established that, um, and then cut to the meeting. There's some stuffy white guys in blazers, and suddenly we get our first look at Mark in blackface accepting his award, his scholarship. I would, I would say jarring, to say the least. I, I knew it was coming, and I just was not ready for it. Congratulations, Mr. Watson. Thank you, sir. I'll do my best. Guys, your thoughts. I don't get it. I mean, okay, I, this is kind of where I, I have a problem with the plot. And I hate to, uh, to analyze a plot that's so riddled with errors to begin with. But what, So he's already been accepted to Harvard as Mark Watson 
the white guy. Right. Wouldn't this being black thing, wouldn't that have come up in the process already? How right. did he get the scholarship all of a sudden? That's what I wanted to know. Like, well, how do you change? Hang on. Whoa, whoa, hang on. Whoa. What's, what's happening in the news right now? So what you, what you do is you, you call Harvard and say, hey, thanks for the well, acceptance. No, no. I'm actually black. No, no, and then he, they give no, you the scholarship. No, when he showed up to, to, to enroll, he goes there to enroll, and, he, and the clerk's like, hey, you're black, but it says right here white. And this but is wouldn't your, they have already is, given the scholarship? They, yeah. they, yes, they had already given him that by uh, now. Okay. That's, that was confusing. Me too. You guys are, you guys are picking nits listen. here. Uh, yeah, it, this is the this. They didn't have the same computer resources. This of could have not. been just. There were <laughs> a lot of well, he didn't get the scholarship errors, until he showed up at admissions that day. No, he got the scholarship from the stuffy white guys. Then we get the montage of him apparently driving his Jeep CJ7 with no doors, with no windows, down. from fucking California to Boston. Well, first of all, yeah. <laughs> What's that? The, the jogging jog? on the beach. Oh, right, yeah. Prior to that. If, if, if this guy really – let's t- take those two last points you just made, uh, Ed. If this guy really wanted to do the ruse, I'm black, he probably could have done something called, I don't know, observing life. <laughs> yeah. I've, never, I've never seen a black guy running on the beach, and I've never seen a black guy driving an open-air Jeep. I mean, I mean these are some gross generalizations. Yeah. Uh, and driving think, it across actually, the country? I think Nino Brown drove a, a Jeep in uh, New Jack City, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to – I'm going to have to dispute Ouch. that. I personally don't think that any racial – there's any racial correlation between vehicle driving <laughs> and – I, I don't know. I don't beach. know. I feel like plenty of black guys run on the beach. I'm not Hang sure. On. Another fun fact about this this jogging scene. So this is this is one of the fun facts. Well, let, hold on. Let me let me okay. set it up. So So – the next scene, he accepts a scholarship, and the next we see Gordo is like pro- trying to run off last night's cocaine bender on Hermosa Beach or something. And a lot, he's got the nose in for the it. '80s. Everybody and really, really wore short shorts. everybody really <laughs> wore like heavy sweatshirts to go jogging. I don't know, yeah. like even if it's cold, when you go out and jog for thirty seconds. With something warm on, you're fucking overheating. I don't understand why everyone was running with yes. heavy fleece on. In, especially in California. Excessive clothing on the upper half of his body right. and next to nothing. Like yes. His testicles are almost yes. hanging out of his <laughs> He's got short shorts. <laughs> and as he's, as he's running, he decides to run onto a pier right. where, he, where he's confronted by an odd-looking, almost Indian-looking black guy <laughs> who just starts running next to him. And he's clearly scared, is he not? Yeah, he certainly is. But this is the fun fact. Um, in the scene, this is this is from IMDb. In the scene where Mark first approaches Gordon as a black man, Gordon was originally supposed to believe Mark was going to mug him. Yes. An entire scene was filmed in which Mark played yes. along with it and made Gordon sing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot." It was taken out because <laughs> it was thought, although it was funny when filmed, it was inappropriate and racist. Wow! Oh, wow. they drew that's, the line there. That, that's that's where they drew the line. Wow. Yeah, they drew the line there. Interesting. Which okay, is. So, as we go through this movie, we'll, we'll pick out the even more inappropriate uh, parts and, and wonder why that scene didn't make well, the Well, yeah, it's, it's odd that that scene didn't make the movie <laughs> when the tagline from the poster is, Soul Man, he didn't give up, he got down. From the producer of Risky Business, Soul Man, he didn't give up, he got down. Got on. Oh, no. <laughs> What's the first thing he says? 
like the first kind of like quote unquote black thing he says, is it right on? Yeah. In the classroom. Yes. In the classroom. Yes. Right yes. on, also, man. Do you think Gordon did his own stunt when he ran backwards off the pier? Yes, he, yeah, he, he, was that him, Ari? He, classic comedy. Yeah, classic comedy. Yeah, there, was, there were a lot of inadvertent plunges into water in the eighties. There, there were. Could you uh, never happen in real life? Could you pick it up where you you had left off, Brian? Like uh, they they arrive in town. Supposedly they had just driven the three thousand miles in an open. Okay, oh, yeah. So, when they go so to rent the he apartment. explains during his run, like, "Hey, dude, I figured it out. I got the scholarship. Look, Seth gave me those tanning pills. The the hair never gets explained. Is it? Yeah. Did, did I miss that yeah. part? No, they never explained that he went and got a perm and dyed his hair black. Yeah, too. and his hair like his Carl hair perm. does not look black at all. It just looks it clownish. Looks- I know, it looks like it looks like he took one of those Monchichi dolls. And That's said, exactly like, right. Give me that. Like it's not a it's not a real haircut. It's not it's a, a proper a black man's haircut. Also, like who did the like? Did the producers come together and with the makeup artist and they tried some different looks? And the makeup artist is like, "What do you think? We're gonna go with this." And all the producers got together and were like, "Oh yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, he looks great. Yeah, he looks he looks Good job, guys. he looks black. You guys you guys have pulled it off. This yeah. is amazing." Like, I feel like the technology was good enough back then. Like, you didn't have to CGI him, which didn't exist, but you could have, with makeup, made him look a little more authentic, no? Yeah. I think this movie and the plot of Muppets Take Manhattan just shows you how much cocaine was being consumed in the 80s by Hollywood studios. <laughs> well, I, I always... It's a lot of crazy shit happened. I always cite this, that, that you know Hollywood studio executives were doing a lot of cocaine in the 1980s <laughs> because... A, they greenlit Soul Man, and two, they expected us to buy Glenn Close as a sex symbol. A <laughs> lot of cocaine back then. Yeah, lots. You had lots. to be it, so, does, yeah. it does go to show After, how a good tan can really make your teeth pop. That's true. His teeth are very white all of a sudden. And like Jason said, his lips are very red. He looks odd. I think he has colored contacts in. The whole thing is weird. And and Gordon goes right along with it after falling off the end of a pier. Also, where was he running to? Like, why would you just run down the end of a pier? That's was, like there's a fucking dead end at the end. I think he was trying to get away from the weird brown person the, that was Yeah. And and when they're when they're tail. driving driving into town with the Jeep why do they have an oversized dog statue with them? Very, very important. He shows up. The, the next montage, he's driven into Boston from L.A. That's like a 3,500-mile yeah. drive. And they look like they just uh, took the 20-minute drive from Foxborough. Like in, they, yes. You'd think in an open-air Jeep, you'd have like bugs in your hair. The car That's would right. be really dirty. No, they They're, look great. Yeah, they, they looked like the 100 bucks. Just it, Waltzing into town. It didn't look like they'd been on the road for the <laughs> seven or eight days that it would take to make that drive. Also, you're driving across the country. All you have is your Jeep and a tiny trailer. You yeah. bring the essentials. And like Ed said, one of the essentials <laughs> in the back of the- And they bring the, like five things to college with them. Yes. Five. And one of them is a giant d- stuffed dog statue. Yeah, it, looks, it looks like that uh, old RCA dog. Oh, yes. Right, yeah. right. So bizarre. Like, it's very odd. Uh, very odd, Jason. You had you had something to add on the. No, on that the was Jeep it. I, I, I was I, I was struck by the fact that they didn't even try to fake it with any kind of ruffled hair or anything. They just showed up pristinely clean after a, an open air, you know, three thousand mile trip. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Also, like, what 
like Boston's a commuter city like, or, you know, it's a, it's a public transit place. Like did he even need his Jeep? Parking is extremely expensive. That would have certainly added to his $7,500 yearly nut. But then how <laughs> else would he have gotten that giant dog there? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, uh, the right. only reason he needed to drive was to bring that his dog. That dog doesn't apparently. fit on the T. That dog doesn't yeah. fit on the T. They need, they <laughs> needed it in the Jeep. That's exactly right. Okay. So he drive, he drove from LA and they have their first, he has his first experience. He's apparently been black for a couple days and he's driven to Boston and they, they meet the, the super or and the he landlord. Gets discriminated against. And hey. right, right away, we And the, he, he always has a, a stogie in what, his mouth. He's got a stogie, and, but Ed, what is he wearing? A Celtic sweatshirt. <laughs> that's right. And, he, and this got, is where the movie finally takes a realistic turn. <laughs> that's exactly right. right? Because, well, explain that to me. Because what does that mean? He's, he's, he, he his a, landlord is named Roy McGrady. He's right. he's a Bostonian he's in a Celtics Irish from Boston Celtics. So it's and like racist. all the stereotypes and, he's, and racist. He, yeah, he's a blatant racist. That's weird that and this then, movie has stereotypes. And then, in it. and then right after the uh, the uh, land, the super, here comes the heavy. That's exactly right. Yeah. So Roy Roy says to first Roy says to um, to Gordon, "Hey, you didn't tell me your roommate was a black Negro." <laughs> yeah, there may be a problem here. Yeah, roommate was a uh, <clears throat> black, a black Negro, a black Negro, <laughs> <laughs> which actually played kind of funny because Gordon's like, "You're kidding me! I, I need to have a talk with him. I didn't realize you're right. I don't. I didn't realize he was a black Negro. He right. never told me that." And that's a played out joke now, but I bet back then that was pretty fresh. But absolutely, you know? Gordon, Gordon was solid. But yeah. he was a solid sidekick. Immediately, the Roy. The landlord heads outside to tell the building's owner who pulls up in a, in a Mercedes and who gets out of the car but Leslie fucking Nielsen. And you immediately start laughing. How? Looking at it's, not, not, not in a goofy fashion. No. He's the heavy. He's playing the heavy. He's, pl- he's, he's he the is, villain. He's so goofy and he funny. When is, but when you, cannot, I, you cannot look at that guy and just not want to laugh your ass off. He's just this so is what, fucking three funny. Years, three years from Drebin? Two years yeah, from this Drebin? Yeah, is, this is before. he. This is obviously after Airplane, but before right. uh, The he Naked Gun. He had comedy, but like Naked Gun movie is where he became just goofball. A- absolutely, but he all but the way he plays it straight like that, the way he acts serious, it's you're just so used to laughing at that. I, I found myself cracking up as soon as I saw sure. Leslie Nielsen. Um, but and also in the same scene, we absolutely. see the very homely looking daughter that for some reason gets the eye of the two main characters, right? This homely looking chick well, in the she's, passenger she's seat. She's got a terrible, terrible perm. Her oh, hair yeah, is she's, fucked. She's, she's got those, a bit of the Joni Cunningham fried hair. Yes. What about those sick mom jeans she's yeah, got? Yeah, she's got, well, she's at this point, she's in the car and both, she's, she's, and it's unclear if she's, Leslie Nielsen's trophy girlfriend or his daughter. Later we found find out it's his daughter, but at that point it's sort of you're sort of not sure. And they're looking out the window and she looks up and she sees Mark and she I'll tell you what she sees. She sees some forbidden fruit. She she certainly does. She sees a way to get back at dad. It wouldn't be the first time. She's thinking it won't be the last. That's right. She's thinking I could bring home this black guy. I could taste the 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 darker fruit. 
That would really get my dad's attention. He hasn't been paying attention to me. Wait till he sees this. He, she is smitten. And it turns out she is a young version of the woman, Melora Hardin, that ended up being the boss on the American office. What was her that, name on the office? Was it Laura? I don't Lori? Was it an Anne? Was it Anne? No, I don't know who it was, but I, I, I did no. not know that until I looked on IMDb and I was shocked. I remember uh, seeing her in the office and, and finding her like a sexy milf, you know. But she, I'm like, she, I, I she never aged well. Her. She's a nice, yeah. she's a nicer middle aged woman. She was born in '67. Yeah, she's not un- unattractive, and I, I would argue, much like Julia she, Louis Dreyfus, she's she's gotten m- more attractive yeah, with age. Yeah. Like the young her name version. Was Jan- Jan Levinson. Jan, that's right, Jan. Yeah, she the the young version doesn't hold a candle to the older version. Oh, no. Right, so she was she was 19, 18, 19 when this movie was filmed. And when so when she does get out and they have some kind of a um I'm not sure what she was doing being uh seductive or something on the way up the steps didn't let didn't she get her first admonishment from her dad who said, "Quote I want you to stay away yeah. from him. That's stay right. away from That's him. Right. Which I always assumed was implied when it came to um, white guys from Boston and their daughters and black guys. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't. That's a, that's a racist town. That's just <laughs> right. It's well known. It's it's well known to be a racist town. Uh, okay. So then we 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 start. We but that d- also sets up that the best friend is into her. That's right. They're they're yes. bo- they're both feeling her. But Mark has a little leg up because of his, you know, ethnicity. Right, but his buddy doesn't know that. He doesn't realize he doesn't that. Get that. Also, nobody nobody seems to notice that he looks nothing like a black guy. He looks like a white guy <laughs> with a crazy clown wig on and paint all over his face. <laughs> and no one it's hit the really, tanning salon a little hard. It's it's like the precursor to white chicks, but like times a thousand. Like I just right. it's just so shocking to me every scene that no one goes, "Hey, hold on a second. What the fuck is going on with this guy <laughs> well actually sarah when she first meets him says there's something a little strange about that's you. true that, that yeah that does happen uh so yeah then he goes he's he experiences his first racism with the, the mixer the, with the landlord and then he heads to the mixer because apparently colleges have cocktail parties for brand new students and he <laughs> yeah, goes there a and welcome party and that the one guy that i don't know what he's I, one one guy is the one of the head writers, the Larry Sanders. That's show. where I that's where I know him from. But he's one of those guys that's always that's always in stuff. You recognize him from everything, yes. and that that yeah, that's that's his uh, main role is the guy that was the writer Wallace on something Wallace. on Larry Sanders. And his his whole thing is to just keep popping up and telling racist jokes accidentally in front of a black guy. Apparently, he and his buddy. apparently he is- he doesn't know the universal move to. Look around before you tell one of those jokes, <laughs> and and you yeah. have to—they uh, are the most rudimentary black jokes. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're the most so terrible. Unimaginative yeah. racist yes. jokes you can come up with. Harvard, the, right, the, screen, the screenwriter had a copy of the book *Truly Tasteless Jokes* and just wanted to unload as many as he could or she could in the first few minutes. Yeah, like they're just just one-liners, like cheesy one-liners. So he um he he is subjected to a little more racism there, but then they split up to scope chicks. Him and Gordon are going to go slay it just like they did at UCLA. And Mark meets for the first time, Ray Don Chong. Oh yeah. Playing. What was the name of her character? Sarah. 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 Watkins or something. Sarah Watkins. Or Sarah something W. Um, Walker. Walker. Sarah Walker. They meet 
he is instantly smitten. He she invites him to some um, black hey, students. Let's, let's, let's get a timeout here. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen Tommy Chong. That's that's true. He's not black. We we've got to get. I I got to think her mom is very talented because yes. yeah. The looks department, Tommy Chong, that beard is not covering up uh, Fabio. No, he's, no, yeah, no. He's not a good, I mean. He's not I'm, a face I'm man. I'm a fan of, Radon Chong was a good looking woman. Yeah, she's and, attractive. And Tommy Chong, I, I got to think he was contributing maybe two or 3% of those looks. <laughs> I, I, I agree. She, she's way too good looking for a guy in clown makeup like that. Also, do you, now he's encountered his first black person. And he's interested in her. Do, 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 were you guys expecting at this point for her to be like, "Hey, um, you, what's up with you? Like, I'm I'm black, and like, <laughs> I'm looking at you, and you're like, I, I don't recognize my own here. Like, you are not." Our first black. question would have been like, "What's your ethnicity?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, what's, where are you from? What part of India are you from? Because <laughs> yeah. you, like you Pakistan. First question. Yeah, are you are you Bangladeshi? Do you, do you speak Do you speak English? Are you here on a on a scholarship? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he doesn't look black. And he meets her for two seconds, and yeah, she's attractive, but she's clearly not into him at all. Not even kind of. She's not into anyone. She yeah. is a grumpy. Yeah, biatch. she's pretty much frigid. And what's he do? He runs back and sees Gordon, and he goes, "I'm in love." Immediately. Yes. Oh God, is she beautiful? You gotta believe me. Uh, okay, so then he's so we've established that he's at college, and what happens next? I think he gets scouted he's into got, a base basketball no, game. Right? No, no, not no, no, quite. No. He goes enroll for class. He goes right. to his he goes to his first class. His only class. His own uh, <laughs> great point there, Kate. The guy the the whole semester he only goes to one class. Like this is like Little House on the Prairie. They yeah. just went to one school. I house feel like James Earl Jones. If he found out you had another class. He's, would give you a talking yes, to it's in a, that voice. Well, I mean, it's the easiest load in the world. Like Harvard <laughs> Law is fucking simple. You only have to go to one class per Did semester. Did we ever establish what that class was? Criminal law. Oh, it was criminal law? Yes. And and, and he, he he wasn't in initially going to take that class, but he noticed that a black guy That's was right. teaching it, so he That's assumed right. it was going to be an oh, easy Oh, right. Road. That's why so, he picked it. Even though he was a, a, an incredible student to get to Harvard, of course. At this point, he's like, "All right, I'm just taking the easy route. I've already, yeah. I've already compromised my race. I'm just going to take whatever can get me the easiest I, grades." And like, I think he, I think he even said, "He's like, I think I'm taking criminal law because it's being taught by a brother or like something yeah, super yeah. like jarringly yeah. racist." Totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then he has, then he has, he goes to class, and this is 1986. The teacher of the class is none other than Darth Vader himself, James Earl Jones, the voice, the iconic actor. And we should point out now in that classroom scene and in every classroom scene, and this is maybe just an 80s thing, there are a lot of 38-year-old people in these. There's one man who's like 55. Yes. There are a lot of just older people in these classes. In the row in front of Mark to the lower left, there's like a 57-year-old dude. No one is (laughs) of appropriate age in the entire class. Also, everyone's real overdressed. Like It's it's like it's um, prep school. It's like it's uh, Dead Poet Society. Like everybody has a blazer on and a tie. Like – it's college. Why, why is everyone so dressed up? 